In Acts chapter 16, we see two different stories uh, about two different characters. And at first glance, it may seem to be just that. Two different stories, two separate stories that are separate and distinct from one another. The first story being the story of Lydia. Now we're told that Paul and his companions come to the city of Philippi, and they're there for many days. But then they're there while they're on the Sabbath, and so they uh, want to spend some time, as would have been their custom, with those who were like-minded. And so they go outside of the city gates expecting to find a, a group of people in prayer. And as they head out of the city gate, what they find is a group of women who are gathered there in prayer. And Paul, never missing a chance to speak to a captivated audience, begins to share the good news of Jesus with them. Now, we don't know exactly how we did this, but we can imagine um, that perhaps as they're, they're praying their customary prayers, he begins to, to say, yes, but now let's look at this through the lens of Jesus. Or as they're, they're reading through the, the, the scriptures for the day, he begins to say, yes, but now let me explain this through the lens of Jesus. And so as Paul is, is sharing with them the good news of Jesus, we're told that there's one woman in particular who responded. Her name is Lydia. Now, Lydia, uh, all we know about her is that she is a dealer in purple cloths, which tells us actually an awful lot about who Lydia is and what she does. First off, this tells us that Lydia is an entrepreneur. Uh, she's, a, she's a businesswoman. She's involved in the marketplace. She's involved with selling and buying and trading and all sorts of things. But more than just being an entrepreneur, this tells us that she's a wealthy entrepreneur because she was a dealer in purple cloths. Now, Purple Claws in the ancient world wasn't like equivalent to like Faded Glory brand today. But to, to deal with Purple Claws was to talk about like the Gucci of the day, right? Like the high-end stuff. Like this is for the, the rich, this is for the wealthy. Which tells us that not only was she an entrepreneur, but she was like a wealthy entrepreneur who dealt with wealthy people. But we also know that more than just being a wealthy entrepreneur, that Lydia's heart was opened by the Lord to all that Paul was sharing to her. And she became a believer, and even more than that, she had her entire house uh, baptized, and they were all welcomed into the family of God. And it, the story continues to get better because Lydia looks at them and puts them on the spot now and says, if you have found me to be a faithful disciple, stay at my home. Which is a way of saying, like, Lydia has now put all of her resources on the line, offered up her home, her livelihood, her food, all of these sorts of things for the work of the disciples, but more than that, the work of God through the disciples. Story number one. Story number two is the story of a young unnamed woman that Luke, our author, refers to as a slave girl. So one, one day as Paul and his companions are, are heading out to this place of prayer, they encounter this young unnamed woman. And all that we know about this woman up to this point is that uh, she's possessed by some sort of spirit. And this spirit enables her to be able to, te to tell fortunes. And we're told that uh, people have made a great deal of money off of which is a way of saying, like, she's a pawn in someone else's scheme, right? She doesn't have autonomy. She doesn't have uh, the ability to make decisions on her own. But somebody owns her and makes decisions for her. Now, as Paul and his companions are walking by, it's as if she sees something within them. And she says that these men are slaves of the Most High God. Now, she calls them slaves, which is fascinating, because it's as if she sees something within them that she sees within herself. Like she recognizes that she herself is possessed by something, that she herself is being controlled by something, and she sees something in them as if they're being held and possessed by something too. But this thing that's holding them, while similar, is very different because she goes on to say that they proclaim to you a way of salvation. 
Now, to talk about salvation is to talk about something like freedom or something like liberation. And so while she sees something similar in Paul and his companions, she sees something very different. That, that this thing that possesses them, this thing that holds them, doesn't control them in the same sort of way. It doesn't oppress them, but rather it leads to freedom. To them being their truest self. And so she calls this out. She says to them, these are ones who proclaim a way of salvation. Which is kind of like when you get a text early in the evening that says, hey, do you have any plans for tonight? The person texting you, I guarantee, doesn't care if you have plans in general. They want to know if you have plans and if they can work their way in on that, right? (laughs) So she says, these are men who proclaim a way of salvation. Meaning like, I want that freedom that they have. I want that liberation that they have. I want to be my truest self, no longer controlled and oppressed by someone else, but living a life of freedom and liberation, being held captive by the the Most High God. And so this happens day after day as Paul and his companions are going to this uh, group of women praying. And we're told that Paul, very much annoyed, which, by the way, is just a fascinating, hilarious detail in the story, is very much annoyed with this young, unnamed woman. And so he turns and says, Out of you, I command you. And we're told, like that, she's free. She's free of this spirit that possesses her. But she's also free of the men that possess her. Now, at first glance, uh, these seem like two separate stories. Two stories that are separate and distinct from one another. But I think if we're paying attention, and I think if we read these stories closely, we begin to see that there's something like a common thread between these stories. That these stories aren't separate and distinct, but that there's something that unites them together, something that holds them together. And I think the common thread between these two stories is the fact that they're stories of women. See, Acts is written in this uh, uh, day and age in which there's like this male-dominated world, and men get to call the shouts, and men get to tell the stories that are are told. And yet, in the midst of this, we have uh, the story of Acts, the story of, of the church. And in this story of Acts, we see not just a story about men, but we see uh, story of, uh, stories of women. Not just a story, but stories of women back to back, which should stand out like a big exclamation mark for us. It, it's almost as if Luke is trying to write this in bold and metallics and underline, trying to get our attention. See, these stories aren't separate stories distinct from one another, but these stories are stuck together by this common thread that they're stories of women. Now, I sat with these stories, and I really wrestled with these stories, and I thought about them over and over and over again. And I tried to come up with, you know, as I do when I preach, something significant and profound, right? And I, I knew there was something there. There was something just trying to, like, to almost whisper to me. And so I began to ask a question that I'll often ask when it comes to Scripture. And it can seem demeaning at first, but I promise it's not. It's actually a really helpful question if you want to get to the nugget of a, script, uh, a story in Scripture. And that was the question, why are these stories included? Like, why include these stories? Why, of all stories that were told in the early church, why did did these stories make it in? As I began to sit with that question, something clicked within me. And I began to realize that these stories, but not just like these stories, like the story of Lydia, the story of the the young unnamed woman, that their stories specifically, I began to realize that their stories are included because their stories matter. 
to the story of Acts is this unfolding story of the church, this unfolding story of this movement of Jesus, of, of the communities who have gathered themselves around the way of Jesus. And the story of Acts takes place within this day and age in which it's a male-dominated world. And what the stories that the men are, are telling don't include women. And I guarantee that it's not because women weren't involved. But it's because the men who told the story didn't think that the, the stories of women mattered. And yet what we see in the book of Acts is a very different story. It's as if Luke, our author here, says women are going to be part of the story that we're telling because women's story uh, matter in the unfolding story of God. We, if we have eyes to see this, we see this not just in Acts 16, but we see this throughout the rest of, book, of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up on Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, he begins to reference this prophecy from uh, his scriptures, our Old Testament, where it says that men and women both will be given dreams and prophecies. And the day when the Spirit comes, both men and women will serve as mouthpieces for God. We see in Acts chapter 5, uh, as this movement is continuing to spread, we're told that both men and women are, invite, are included into this movement, that, that the numbers are growing both of men and women. A very subtle yet important detail because it's a detail that's often left out in the ancient stories. In Acts chapter 6, we see uh, the story of the Greek widows who are feeling neglected, who are feeling like they're not having their needs met. And yet, what does the church do? The church designates seven individuals to care for their needs. Where the rest of society would have just left them to fend for themselves to continue to exist on the margins, the church designates seven leaders to bring them into the fold to make sure that their needs are met because their story matters. Later on, we see in Paul's uh, letters, who Paul, who's often uh, called a misogynist, right? We see Paul name-dropping all sorts of women, referring to them as things like co-laborers and co-conspirators in the way of Jesus. See, the reason why these stories are included is because these stories matter. Their stories are included because their stories matter. And they matter not just in general, but they matter specifically to the unfolding story of God. Now, if this is the case, this should tell us something about the stories that we choose not to tell and the stories that we choose to tell. Because to, to not tell a story is to communicate in some way that that story doesn't matter. But on the other hand, to choose to tell a story is to communicate in some way that that story does matter. See, I think this is the significance and the power of... Um, both uh, the Me Too and the Church Too movement. Um, these were movements that were started a number of years ago, primarily on social media, where um, a number of women began to come forward and share stories of uh, uh, abuse and allegations and harassment, uh, both within like broader society, but also within the church. And this is significant and powerful because up to this point, these stories had existed in secrecy. These stories had existed in cover-ups, these stories had existed in something like a non-disclosure agreement, like a legally binding document that you won't talk. And the problem is, is that while these stories exist in secrecy and cover-up and non-disclosure agreements, this communicates to those women that your story doesn't matter. But we began to see a few women come forward and share their stories. We began to see them take steps forward in all sorts of courage being incredibly vulnerable, sharing about some of the most painful experiences of their lives. And people began to listen. 
And if secrecy and cover-ups and non-disclosure agreements communicate that your story doesn't matter, then things like courage and vulnerability and sharing and listening certainly communicate that your story does matter. And this, these movements began to, to encourage other women and empower other women to begin to share their stories, to recognize that they were not alone. And then this led to something called like justice and accountability for the men who were behind these acts. I think this also speaks to the, the significance and the power of what we might call like shared leadership. The fact that leadership within like an organization, a business, or a church is shared across gender lines. That, gender, or that uh, gender isn't the defining component for leadership, but the, the gifts given by the spirit are the defining feature for leadership. Uh, because you know the best way to like be included in the story is to have a say in the story that's being told, am I right? Uh, this was one of the first things that stood out to me when uh, um, I began looking at First Amendment. I got all sorts of documents sent to me, and uh, um, one of them had like, a list of our leadership. So our elders and our council kind of like our, you know, quote unquote highest level of leadership, whatever that means in Mennonite circles, right? Um, and I was struck by the fact that like elders and council both like overwhelmingly like 50-50, male and female. And I was really struck by that. And now I can tell you like after five years of being here and being involved in those conversations, like that's intentional. I've been involved in conversations where like, we recognized that dynamics were shifting one way versus another, and we said, hey, if, if we have both male and female within our congregation, then maybe our leadership should reflect that, right? And if we're telling a story, then all voices should have a say in the story that's being told. So uh, I want to get real specific here now, and I want to talk to our sisters, both here and on Zoom. And I just want to say that as a male leader within the church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that we have uh, neglected your stories. I'm sorry for the ways that we've ignored your stories. And I'm sorry for the ways that we have silenced your stories. I'm sorry for the ways that we've neglected, ignored, and silenced your gifts, your talents, your experiences, your preferences, your perspectives, your priorities. And I'm sorry for the ways that this has communicated to you that you and your story doesn't matter. Because that couldn't be further, or that couldn't be farther from the truth. Because what we see in the very opening pages of scripture, within that very first chapter of this Genesis creation poem, is God creating men, man, uh, man and woman, and then we're told several times within those few short verses that male and female were both created in the image of God. In the image of God, God created them, which is a way of saying that women and men carry equally this image of God. And when we have neglected and ignored and silenced stories of women, we have neglected and ignored and silenced the image of God among us. And so I'm sorry for that. And so if you find yourself this morning wondering if you have any sort of relevance. If you're wondering if your, your story, uh, your experiences, your gifts, your talents, your priorities, your preferences, your perspective, if you're wondering if that matters, if you wonder if you yourself matter, please hear this. Your story is being included in the unfolding story of God. Because much like Lydia and the young unnamed woman, your story matters. 
May we know this. May this be included in the stories that we tell, and may we as the community of Christ be a radical witness of the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who cares, the God who includes. And through all of this, may you know that your story matters. Let's pray. Loving God, we are so grateful for the witness and the stories of women all throughout scripture. We're grateful for the story of Lydia, and we're grateful for the story of this young, unnamed woman. God, we're grateful for these reminders that their stories are included because their stories matter. God, we confess the ways in which we as a church haven't always included the stories of women, their gifts, their talents, their experiences, preferences, uh, perspective, priorities. We confess that, and we repent of that, and we begin to walk in a new direction. God, would your spirit give us courage to do that? Would you give us eyes to see the ways in which um, we're neglecting, ignoring, and silencing stories? And bring us back time and time again to include these stories, because... We see over and over throughout Scripture that their stories are being included because their stories. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.